0: Hello and welcome to the Magic Detective Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Carnegie, and this is the Magic Detective. Hi, and welcome to the Magic Detective Podcast. I am your host, Dean Carnegie, and this is episode one, kind of an introductory episode to the Magic Detective Podcast. So let me tell you a little bit about it. First off, this is uh, an, an offshoot of my blog called The Magic Detective, which can be found at themagicdetective.com. Over there, I have 700-plus articles on general magic history, so you might find articles about Houdini and Blackstone and Thurston and Keller and you name it. It's a, a general magic history. It's not specific, like, um, like my friend John Cox, who has a, uh, a site called... WildAboutHoudini.com, which is only about Houdini. Or Neil McNally, who has a great blog called DougHenningProject.com, which is all about the life of illusionist Doug Henning. Mine is General Magic History. So, hey, I'm going to talk about Doug Henning as well. I'm going to talk about Houdini. I talk about Houdini a lot. And and you'll find quite a bit of information on my blog. So I'm going to be doing the same sort of thing here, but in uh, audio form. And uh, first off, you might be wondering, hey, who are you, Dean Carnegie? I've never heard of you before. Well, uh, sorry about that. But uh, you if you look up Carnegie Magic in Google, you'll see a whole lot about me. I am a full-time performing illusionist, magician, escape artist. I uh, do everything from close-up magic to... Uh, to big stage illusions, but I'm a a graduate of the Chavez College of Magic. Yes, there actually is a college for magicians. It's um, a wonderful course, and I am a graduate of that. I probably am the only magic historian who's done a TED Talk. I did one uh, a couple years ago for, um, it was TEDx Foggy Bottom here in Washington, D.C., and, uh, talked, uh, they, they called me up. It's so funny. They called me up and they said, Hey, we found out you're a magic historian. We didn't even know there was such a thing. Uh, we're wondering if you could come and talk about, you know, all of magic history. And I said, yeah, yeah, I would love to. And they said, oh, and, and, and you're a magician as well, a performing magician. Could you do a trick? And I said, yeah, yeah, great. I would love to. And they said, oh, and we need all that in eight minutes. So there you have it. Um, so I did it and, uh, all of magic history and a trick in eight minutes. Mm, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I did a Ted talk on, um, on magic history and, uh, I've, I've given quite a few uh, talks and lectures on, uh, magicians, uh, Houdini, um, for one, the great Morrow for another. And, uh, and I look forward to the next time I get to speak about magic history as well. Uh, let's see here. Uh, so that's uh, a little bit about me. Um, if you want to find out more about me on the web, just Carnegie magic.com is, uh, one of my main sites and also my show that I'm doing right now, astonify.com, which is a 19th century style magic show with a light seance included. And, uh, I probably wouldn't even be doing that if it wasn't for magic history, my love of magic history. And, um, Uh, There's a Doug Henning connection there. I don't know if you know what it is, and I'll maybe leave that for another time. So why magic history? Well, number one, magic history is the history of entertainment. Uh, Granted, it's a niche kind of entertainment, you know, magic. Uh, Number two, it, it pushes people to learn more about the craft of magic. Magic is... Is not just tricks, it's not just sawing a lady in half or pulling a rabbit out of a hat, which are two very cliche things, and magicians hardly, I don't know, does anybody pull a rabbit out of a hat anymore? Um, yeah, but, you know, uh, you don't see that kind of thing today, it's just very um, cliche. Uh, sawing a person in half, that's a different story, that's still done. But uh, it's not just tricks. Uh, There's a rich history uh, stories about famous magicians and magicians not so famous as well that also have rich histories. I mentioned a moment ago the great Morrow, who I'll talk about in another podcast, but Maro was somebody I had never heard of. He probably should have been one of the greats in magic, but he died suddenly. So, oh, did I give away the ending? It just never mind. It's a great story. I'll tell tell you about it in another podcast. Uh, another reason I love magic history is occasionally I get to uncover gems of information and share it with people. And that's what I did on my blog for you know, almost 10 years now. I guess it's eight years I've had the blog. And it's really cool when you find out something. Now, you're not the first one to uncover this information because usually the information comes from a newspaper article or a book that... Um, or a magazine from, you know, the 1910 or something like that. So you're not the first one to uncover it, but you're, you are you know, you're bringing it alive again to a new, um, a new generation, a new audience. So, and it's cool when you find that kind of thing out. One of my favorite things is when people uncover new photographs of Houdini. I mean, this guy is just... Uh, they, this is before cell phones and everybody, you know, was taking selfies and Houdini had pictures taken of him everywhere. There must be thousands and thousands of pictures of this guy. And they're still uncovering brand new photos all the time. It's the most remarkable thing. It's crazy. And if he signed it, ho, oh, oh, ching, ching. Yeah. So cool. So, uh, uh oh, and but sometimes I get it wrong. So. Uh, The podcast will give me an opportunity to correct any mistakes I may have made in the past. Usually, if I find out something's wrong, I'll I'll correct it on the blog anyway. So, but here I can do it uh, well—not live, but uh, in a recorded fashion. Uh, Some of the things that you're going to uh, see or hear on the Magic Detective podcast—I'm going to be having a segment called the Magic History Minute, which is. Hey, it's magic history in a minute. And then there'll be a, uh, similarly a, a segment called this week in magic history, which, uh, this week here is the first week of October. So I probably have a, a little gem about something significant that ties into the first week of October sometime in the history of magic. Um, I may have the occasional magic history contest, which actually comes right out of my blog. I've done that a number of times. And if I have a contest, that means somebody's going to win something. So that's kind of cool. And uh, one of the things I'm really looking forward to are the interviews, interviews with magic historians, fellow magic historians, magic collectors, uh, performers. And um, so that's going to be, that's going to be a great thing. Very exciting. A lot of fun to to do. And also, I get to promote things that I really like. Now, I could promote my show and that kind of thing, but I'm not really going to do that here. Um, What I want to do is promote things that are magic history related. So right now I'm going to do my first promotion. And this is not a paid promotion. They don't know I'm doing this. I'm just going to do it out of the kindness of my heart. There is an event coming up in November called the Yankee Gathering. Now, the Yankee Gathering is a magic history conference. It's put on by the New England Magic Collectors Association. You can find them at nemca.com, which is N-E-M-C-A dot C-O-M, nemca.com. And the Yankee Gathering is this incredible magic history conference. It's limited to 200 people, and and people come from all over the world, uh, magic uh, historians and people interested in magic history and magic collectors and performers. And they come and they share their love of, of magic history. And I went for the first time two years ago. They asked me to come and speak about The Great Morrow, which I did. And uh, my talk was very well received. I got to meet people that I looked up to throughout my whole life. They came up and told me how much they, they loved my talk, which was, you know, very, uh, very exciting, very fulfilling. And uh, got to meet a lot of great friends there this year. I was supposed to be on the uh, the bill to perform uh, on the Saturday show. and unfortunately, I had to back out. My mom is having some health issues and i uh, I just don't know what my schedule's gonna be i, I I'm probably gonna to be in Nashville, Tennessee during the conference, and um, I didn't want to leave them hanging suddenly at the last minute, so I decided to go ahead and back out. Uh, so they'd have time to find somebody. And uh, and I just felt awful about that because I was so honored that they they asked me to participate. And I hope they'll ask me again because uh, I would love to perform for, for that group. They're just the, the greatest group of people. But, uh, but I want to encourage you, if you like Magic History, to check out the Yankee Gathering and just go to nemka.com. And there's a link there to the Yankee gathering and tells all about it. Who's going to be there. It's v- relatively inexpensive and it's up in Westboro, Massachusetts. It's, it's in November. So I think second week of November. So uh, check it out. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. I hope you, you take advantage of that. I hope you go and uh, don't wait. Cause like I said, it's up to, um, they only let 200 people in. So I don't know how close they are to, uh, to wrapping up registration on that. So Please check that out. You know, I mentioned it just a moment ago. The Magic History Minute. Let's go ahead and do the very first Magic History Minute. I'm recording this today is October fourth, twenty eighteen, and it just so happens to be the uh, the anniversary, the two year anniversary of the passing away of Paul Osborne. Now, if you're not familiar with Paul Osborne, uh, you may be after I mention this. He's the creator of the Illusion Systems books and blueprints. Uh, if you're into illusion magic at all, certainly you know Paul. Paul was a performer, he was a director, he was a creator, he was an illustrator. He was just uh, instrumental to illusionists o- over the last thirty years, mainly because of his books and because of the shows that he produced at amusement parks. He was uh, he was an amazing man, and he is uh, certainly missed. And it's the second anniversary. Uh, we miss you, Paul. And by the way, the company uh, his illusion system company is still online so uh, his wife Michelle is still producing uh, and providing blueprints. So if you're in the market for that please check them out. The web address for illusion systems it's a weird one so I'm going to uh, spell it out pretty much It's Hamilton Holt Inc dot stores.yahoo.net. That's Hamilton. Holt, dot net. Don't go to IllusionSystems.com because that's a hunting um, website, so you'll be disappointed. Now, I may not have mentioned it yet, but another thing that I want to do here on the podcast are interviews, interviews with uh, fellow magic historians, fellow magic detectives, as it were, uh, collectors, magic collectors and, uh, and performers. Um, performers have a unique insight into the history of magic often because of just the material they do or, uh, characters that they've run into throughout their lives. I love listening to interviews by, uh, by performers and they talk about, oh, well, you know, I, I met Vernon when I was a teenager or I met, uh, Slidini, or I took lessons from him or whatever it happens to be. There's always, a. Uh, it seems to be everyone, in the art has some connection to someone uh, famous within our industry, I think. And um, so when you get those little gems of information, it's, it's really cool. Uh, in the future, I, I want to produce a podcast about Charlie Miller. And I know there's a number of individuals that have had, uh, that knew Charlie and had contact with him. And uh, I think it'd make a great podcast. So that's something for down the road. Right now, though, we're going to get into my first feature for episode one of the podcast, and this is uh, this is about Houdini. It's uh, this week in magic history, and kind of it's uh, it runs over into the month of November, so I guess you could consider it this month in magic history. It began in 1900, and the story goes like so. Uh, Houdini arrived in Berlin in October of 1900. His appearance our his appearances, were marked by simple posters which read, Winter Garden, Houdini in October. Now, the Winter Garden was the go-to entertainment complex in Berlin during this time. It was really the largest theater of its kind in Berlin. They featured tons of European acts as well as American performers. T. Nelson Downs' The King of Coins actually appeared at the Winter Garden only a few months before Houdini had arrived. The theater itself, was housed within the, the central hotel and seated about 4,000 people. If you can imagine that the the theater opened in 1887 and in 1895 showed a cinematograph. Uh, This made the Berlin winter garden, the very first movie theater in history. As far as I can tell, but according to the theater's website, the venue was used mainly for live performances right up until 1944. Now, when Houdini was there, he charmed his German audiences by speaking their native language. It was the language that his parents spoke so while he was growing up, so he knew it. Um, did he have a great command of it? Mm, not really. Um, in fact, it was pretty much less than perfect, and German newspapers made note of his mixture of broken English and broken German. Still, uh, audiences were quite forgiving and seemed thrilled that this American would go through all the trouble to try and speak German. During his first week at the Winter Garden, Houdini faced a challenge from an audience member who brought a unique set of thumb screws with him. Now, if you're not familiar with thumb screws, they're, a, uh, they're made of steel, they're kind of rectangular shape, and there's a, a, screw th- a threaded screw bar that goes down the center of them. There's a, a bar that is on top of that, and your thumbs go inside, and the, the, thr- the uh, screw that's in there has a wing nut on it. So what happens, happens is you put your thumbs in there, you twist the, the wing nut down, and it presses that bar against your thumbs, clamping them in place so you, you know, can't get out. Now, there was a a small little uh, twist to this particular set of thumbscrews. What made them unique was the fact that they had these sharp-pointed protrusions that gripped the thumbs so tight, it was impossible to really move your thumbs at all. Houdini accepted the challenge, and even though it was a painful ordeal, he did escape the thumbscrews. While he was in Dresden, Houdini discovered that the Germans did not use American or British handcuffs. They thought they were too weak. Rather, they had their own handcuffs and quite a few different types and styles. And according to Houdini, using a key was out. And this made escaping about a thousand times more difficult. So to combat the problem, Houdini worked with German locksmiths during the days to learn the ins and outs of these cuffs. Of these German handcuffs. Imagine that, you know, he's like taking classes from German locksmiths. How do I get out of this? What's the inside of this one look like? It's pretty amazing. Uh, one frustrating part of his European tour in Germany were the constant imitators. Uh, some would show up at Houdini shows, others, he would go to uh, their shows and confront them. There was one magician by the name of Hermann, and not the famous, uh, one of the famous Hermans, but this is what his name was. He claimed to be the true and only handcuff king. Now, Houdini got wind of this and went to see his show. And when Herman called for a committee from the audience, why, Houdini joined the pack. Herman didn't realize Houdini was among those on stage when he began to brag about previously beating Houdini. And that's, of course, when Houdini burst forth and made himself known to the crowd and to the performer. This confrontation apparently turned into nothing more than a battle of words, with Houdini claiming victory. Now, in Houdini's book, Handcuffed Secrets, on page 16, Houdini relates the story of a would-be German escapist-exposer who made the claim of Houdini. And this is about Houdini. His work is simplicity itself. Then he continued on how Houdini had his shows and contracts canceled, and he was run out of Germany. There was only one problem with this statement. It didn't happen. In fact, at the Winter Garden in Berlin, Houdini was so popular that the management paid uh, Roenker's Theater in Vienna a full month's salary. This was 4,400 marks, about $1,000 today, to keep him at the Winter Garden throughout November. Kind of ironic, considering the same place declined a similar request from the Dresden Central Theater back in September. Now Houdini capitalized on it by having a postcard made, promoting his successes during the tour. In November, he, uh, uh, during his extended run at the Wonder Garden, another German magician showed up during Houdini's performance with the hopes of taking down the true handcuff king. He went by the stage name of Hilmar the Uncuffable and he made the claim that he could get out of things that Houdini could not. So Houdini slapped on a pair of German-made cuffs known as Berliners. The would-be challenger struggled, and after several minutes, cried to be released. Houdini finished his run in Germany at the end of November, but he would be back in only a few short months to tour the country again. Uh, And I want to keep this, uh, this just about the Winter Garden and his time there, um, I did go into November, but, um, oh, and let me mention one other thing that's kind of cool. Uh, T. Nelson Downs, the uh, King of Coins, uh, writing in a column for Our letterbox in um, the May 1902 edition of Sphinx Magazine, says that Houdini absolutely is the biggest sensation ever made in Germany in the history of vaudeville there. Downs mentions that Houdini won his lawsuit in Cologne against the policeman in the newspaper and both would have to retract things they said about Houdini. Houdini reaped the rewards of having won this case through incredible advertising that followed. Mr. Downs also mentions that Houdini was booked solid for the next two years. And he says when I believe he will retire for a season simply to count his money. And there's a little uh, story about Houdini for our first podcast. Now I have one more thing I want to discuss or talk about before I go, and that is the Doug Henning film. You may have heard a little bit about this. You may not know exactly what's going on. Uh, so I'm going to share with you just a little bit of the, uh, the information. It's a documentary. Uh, documentary that's being uh, written right now by Neil McNally. He's the director and the writer. Uh, Michelle Opitz is the producer of the project. And they're calling it the Doug Henning Film. In fact, you can go to the website, DougHenningFilm.com. And there's a trailer about the, uh, the documentary. They're in the process. They've, they've done a number of interviews. With uh, with various magicians, Johnny Gone, Jim Steinmeier, Johnny Thompson, Lance Burton, uh, Max Maven, Penn and Teller, Milt Larson, and others. Um, but they're, uh, they're they're in the midst right now of an Indiegogo um, fundraiser. They need money to finish the film. So if you go to DougHenningFilm.com, you look at the top, very top. There's a menu at the top, and there's a, a button you can click there called "Support the Film." And um, if you click that, it'll show you where to where you can donate. It'll actually take you to the um, Indiegogo page, indi- indiegogo.com. But uh, there's a, f- a fundraising page for Doug Henning's Magical World. I guess that's the actual name of the, uh, the documentary. And uh, as of today, which is October 4th, 2018, they've raised about $3,600. And I'm not sure, just looking at this really quick, what they're hoping to... Uh, the grand total is that they're hoping to raise, but uh, what a great project, w- very worthwhile. Um, as with any sort of fundraising project online, there are perks to donating. So the more you donate, the better the perks are. So um, I encourage you to go and check it out. And uh, and if you feel that uh, you want to donate, please do, because like I said, Doug Henning certainly deserves uh, a documentary. And, uh, and this one is done, you know, within the magic community and people that love Doug Henning. So uh, what could be better? So please check that out. Again, the, uh, the website is doughenningfilm.com, And you can, you can find out from there how to go to the uh, Indiegogo page and, uh, and donate to the uh, Doug Henning's Magical World. So that's going to be it uh pretty much for the first episode of uh, the Magic Detective podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please check out my blog if you get a chance which is at themagicdetective.com and uh I'll be back Every Monday with a new podcast uh, talking about magic history and probably Houdini and and uh, and other characters from our rich world. So uh, please do that. Please check out my blog and please come back. Oh, hey, hey, subscribe. That's the most important thing. Subscribe to the podcast. That way you'll get notifications when the new um, things come out and it makes me look better, the more subscribers I have. So, uh, it helps me out. Oh, and by the way, if you would like to uh, advertise or sponsor the program, uh, get in touch with me. The best way to do that is through email, which is info at carnegymagic.com. And that's all I'm going to say about that for now, but thanks for listening. Thanks for being part of episode one of the magic detective podcast.